Welcome to the Martha Zoller Show, and it's always great to talk to Matt Brown. He's the national correspondent for Washington Post, and we are glad to have you here with us. Matt, welcome. Great to be here, Martha. Thanks for having me. Sure. Let's start out with stuff a little closer to home, and then we'll get to the stuff that happened down in Florida last week. Give us uh, the update on what you know of what's happening related to the Fulton County case related to election fraud that Fannie Willis is presiding over. Definitely. Well, just this morning, a federal judge just ruled that Lindsey Graham has to testify to the special grand jury. They basically took um, Lindsey Graham's arguments that his calls to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in 2020 about the 2020 election. He, he claimed, Lindsey Graham did, that those calls were part of his regular duties as a senator, which this federal judge basically said, one, I'm not entirely sure that that was the case or that that argument holds up. And then two, that the special grand jury is interested in a lot more than just the you know, specifics of what was going on in those calls, but just more generally Graham's activities around that. And I think that the fact that a sitting U.S. senator is being subpoenaed in this special grand jury trial just shows how sweeping, how serious, and how high level this Fulton County investigation has gotten. The fact that Trump's personal former lawyers, Trump campaign's legal team, um, you know, possibly, and Willis herself has not ruled out even subpoenaing Trump himself. So it's showing how serious um, this legal situation has gotten um, into whether or not Trump interfered with Georgia law, interfered with Georgia's elections, and, and what that's going to what that's going to show for um, the special grand jury's ultimate report. So what do we actually know about what they're discovering in this case? It's paint a picture for people of what this grand jury case looks like. Definitely. So the special grand jury has said already that they've got basically over 100 people who they're interested in speaking with in one way or another. The special grand jury so far has already talked to all the statewide elected officials, including Attorney General Carr, Governor Kemp, uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger. And from those interviews and subpoenas, from what we can glean, we can understand that they all basically affirm their position that the 2020 election was not stolen and that they did feel that Trump had reached out to them in ways that were in, in some way improper um, to, you know, in some ways, apparently, according to one filing that Raffensperger said, felt pressured himself to to overturn the results of the, the 2020 election in, in one way or another. So that's what has been really interesting going into here, that we've got such high level, you know, Georgia officials, you know, members of Trump's own party, basically saying that, that they are disputing Trump's own account of, of what happened in the 2020 election. And it, it's very interesting to see the special grand jury being able to pull all of that together now that they are able to actually subpoena officials and everything. Uh, there's, it's been a little bit different on the side of Trump's allies who are um, staying alongside the president. For instance, just last week, uh, Trump's former personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was, you know, filed an emergency motion to make it so they didn't have to testify. He's going to testify this week, too, on Wednesday in court, and it's going to be very interesting to see if he actually does show up, too. So the situation has basically been that the special grand jury has been able to reach out to everyone from, you know, state officials to election workers to, you know, the highest elected officials down here in Georgia. And now they're looking at Trump's inner circle and seeing if they're going to be able to get testimony from that. Now, Burt Jones, who's running for lieutenant governor, was a interesting case also because he was one of those group of Trump electors. And he was able to make the case that he shouldn't have to testify. Yes. So Fannie Willis, she she decided in the period for the Democratic runoffs in June that she was going to co-sponsor a fundraiser for the Burt Jones's eventual Democratic rival, Charlie Bailey. That situation, which was, you know, it was held at a grocery store um, down here in Atlanta. 
um, Bert Jones successfully legally argued that because she had held a political event for his political rival, that that meant that she was disqualified from actually being able to subpoena him in a legal in a legal case that would have obviously a very explosive political um, consequences. The judge said himself that the optics of that were horrible. He said, what were you thinking, District Attorney Willis, that, that you were going to not just conduct an investigation that is, this is one of the most important investigations or consequential investigations that, that we've you know, had in unironically American history. And that she decided to then go and still be, if she's an elected official herself, which is it's within her right to you know, campaign for her democratic allies. But the judge, I think, said it best when he basically said, you have the right to do that. And you also have the right to face the consequences of your actions there. And that, and that was the, the origin of Burt Jones's successful legal argument saying that she might be able to um, go after the other Trump electors and, and cross-examine them in the special grand jury, but she's not going to be able to come after me because it, it, it's just the political optics are just so fraught and toxic. Now, will they have someone else uh, interview him or take his statement? Is is that one of the doors they left open? Yes. So another district attorney is now going to be appointed to um, investigate Jones in that in that section of the case. No one's been appointed yet, but that is something that we're expecting to see in the coming weeks. You know, it is kind of a mess, right? I mean, it it is it is an unusual, it's unprecedented this sort of grand jury related to the Fulton County case, it is very different. But you see things like, I mean, Rudy Giuliani to me is is really very, very interesting because just 20 years ago, Rudy Giuliani was one of the most popular people in America. He was America's mayor. He led us through 9-11, now coming up on 21 years ago. Uh, he was the guy that was down there. He also had an amazing uh, career as a federal prosecutor uh, in New York, he brought a lot of bad guys to justice and was well known for that. That's what largely catapulted him into the mayor's position in New York City. He even ran for president for a period of time. I mean, he was a guy that was beloved, really, by Democrats and Republicans alike. He saved New York City when New York City was a city kind of like it is now where there's so much crime. Nobody wanted to go there. Rudy Giuliani became mayor and made it to the point within a very short period of time. You'd go to Times Square and instead of inappropriate peep shows, you saw Disney and Hershey's Chocolate and people with strollers all over Times Square. (laughs) Right. You know, so he is this guy that had this incredible bona fides. Uh, that was beloved by Democrats and Republicans, okay? And then he gets tied up in this election case. And it's 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 really undone almost everything. I mean, that I have to remind people of all these good things about G- Rudy Giuliani, that you don't want to just judge a person by their final act, but it's hard not to. Exactly. And this is one thing that I always like reminding people of, that, that this is also why Rudy Giuliani had so much credibility when he came down to Georgia and said that there were you know, ballots being stuffed in the State Farm Arena, when he said that the election had been stolen or overturned. This is why a lot of people, like when America's mayor, who had overseen the largest city in the country, comes down and tells you that there's this you know, unfair conspiracy to steal your vote, that's a lot of credibility coming down from someone who, as you said, literally saw the country through one of its darkest hours. So I, I, I don't necessarily blame a lot of people for initially when, when, when he's claiming that he has evidence of, of you know, serious malfeasance, that that's, not, that's something that you've got to pay attention to, regardless of, 
regardless of, um, you know, if he actually was able to deliver the goods, which to be clear, he was not in this situation. The, the election was not stolen. And, and everyone from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to federal courts to um, the, our own Secretary of State down here were, were, were clearly able to show that with evidence. But, but Giuliani does have a lot of consequence here. He had a lot of um, reputation in this. And, and as a result of all of that, he was very, very intimately tied to Trump in this because Trump knew exactly the gravity and, and the, the reputation um, and the respect that Giuliani's name commanded, not just in New York, but all across the country, including here in Georgia. So what do you think ultimately is going to happen here? And do you have any timeline? Obviously, these things have their own timeline. But if you were guessing, when are we going to start seeing some real stuff coming out of this grand jury? So Willis's investigation, she has said, is going to finish long before the year mark that has been allowed by the court. The, the, the special grand jury is allowed to be seated for up to a year, but Willis says they're going to be done well before then. Given already who we know she's spoken with, they're, they're kind of already at the end of everyone who they, they more or less seem to have, have cared to get in contact with. And it's really just a question of what is Giuliani's testimony going to be like? What is Graham's testimony going to be like? What is Representative Jody Heiss's testimony going to be like? So the question for me is just whether or not she's going to pull this special report together by the grand jury and whether it's going to come out in the next month or so, in which case it might be before the deadline that Judge Robert McBurney, the, the Superior Fulton County Superior Court judge who's overseeing this case, he has said that he does not want a special report that's going to be very politically explosive to come out anytime close to the midterm elections. So if it comes out, you know, in late September or sometime in October, he said, I don't want any October surprises coming out of my courtroom. So if that's the case, then we're not going to really see the full report and the full consequences of this until potentially late November or December, when it would be still consequential, but it wouldn't necessarily affect the outcome of the midterm elections. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of... Um people saying this or that thing is going to affect the midterm election. But I think what we're seeing is that, uh, and much like in 1992, uh, it is going to be about the economy. And while these little things may move a few voters one way or another, and even some of these big things may move a few voters one way or another, I think the number one thing is going to be, I think there's two things. One, the economy and how people feel about it. And two, how parents feel about their children being in school and what their role there is. I think those are the things that are going to move voters the most. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how all these other little shiny objects, if you will, will move voters. Because I think most of the things that people have been saying, oh, this is going to move voters or that's going to move voters, that the voters were already in whatever camps they were in before those things came out, whether you're talking about Roe v. Wade or you're talking about something else. I just think the bigger thing that's going to move voters is how they feel about the economy. Now, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about what happened last week in Mar-a-Lago, where we had, you know, some people are mincing words, but you had 30 FBI agents go into Mar-a-Lago on a day when the former president was not there. Uh, As I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there had been some meetings with the former president in June, not too long ago, where a lot of documents were taken out of um, of Mar-a-Lago and that this raid, I'm calling it a raid because I think if you've got 30 agents, that's a raid. Uh, they come in and they have taken additional things. So tell us what we know so far. Yes, definitely. So we know that the um, raid search, whatever you want to call it, that happened on Mar-a-Lago last week was personally signed off by um Attorney General Merrick Garland in this situation. We also know that this was also very 
deeply concerned with counterintelligence um, officials who were involved in this, um, you know, raid of Mar-a-Lago, as well as um, officials who were interested in, you know, retaining confidential information from the um, president's residence down there. That is a situation that has been very, it's been very interesting to find out actually what are the, what was the, what was approved by the search warrant and what they were actually looking for. We heard the Washington Post reported last week that one of the things that they were most interested in finding was, was nuclear documents and potential documents relating to um, the United States' you know, nuclear systems that was going to, was one of the major impetuses for the actual, um, you know, full-on raid of Mar-a-Lago. As you said, there were, there were conversations that were had with, you know, top counterintelligence officials and top other officials in the DOJ that Trump had with them, you know, in the, you know, weeks and months prior to this, um, you know, search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. Those conversations, basically, it seems to us from, from our reporting that the DOJ basically did not believe that Trump's lawyers were being entirely truthful with them about what was being kept, how secure it was being kept, and what the National Archives had actually been able to retrieve. And because of that, and because they then determined that there was confidential or, or secret information that was still in, that was still at Mar-a-Lago, they then invoked the Espionage Act to issue the search warrant of, of the premises and, and recover what we now know to be about 11 to 13 boxes of, of information. So we're talking to Matt Brown, who is the national correspondent for The Washington Post. He is based in Georgia, and we do appreciate him being with us today. And we're talking a little bit now about the Mar-a-Lago search, raid, whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I just still can't help but thinking that, number one, this could have been handled with subpoenas, number one. Number two, I have never seen something that could galvanize Republicans as quickly as the two factions of Republicans that were out there, they're all united on this. There's a whole lot of independents that think this was an overstep. And there are even some Democrats that think this is an overstep. Uh, what are you hearing? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think that you're very correct there that people people were talking all summer about, oh, Trump's star is fading here in Georgia. You know, Kemp and Raffensperger survived without of his endorsement. That's ignoring the fact that, you know, Burt Jones and, and Herschel Walker and these other candidates were backed by Trump in, here in the state. But people were basically saying maybe Trump doesn't have as much influence over the Republican Party as, as he used to. And then stuff like this happens, where it, it really does rally people around, no matter, no matter who you are um, in the GOP. It really does show that even his most you know, potential, ardent potential rivals um, for the presidency in 2024 are, are now really having to rally around him because he has, again, become a martyr and a, and a, and a unique figure in the Republican Party. Because as you said, we, this isn't even related to the January 6th investigations that we thought the DOJ was going after. This is related to just documents. And whether or not they were documents related to literally the nuclear codes, this is a question that for a lot of, you know, everyday Americans, they're saying, well, that's not enough that you can, you know, break into, you know, someone's home, their, their place of residence, and, and do this to them. So it is, it is a valid point to point out that this is a, a galvanizing force inside of the GOP, regardless of the merits of the actual investigation that the, that the Department of Justice is actually carrying out. You know, when the Washington Post first reported that this might have something to do with nuclear secrets, I don't know if they actually use the terminology nuclear codes, but I couldn't help but think that if we have nuclear codes printed out on documents that are in boxes somewhere, we have bigger problems in the 21st century than whether President Trump took a few boxes he shouldn't have taken. <laughs> 
Yes, we, we did not say nuclear codes, and we were very clear about that. Like our, our sources, and this is to my folks on the national security teams, but our, our sources says nuclear documents, to be yeah, clear. Yeah, but it and was, that, but you saw all, you yeah. saw all the social media that was talking about nuclear codes, yeah. and I was saying to myself, yeah. Lord have mercy, yeah. <laughs> if we're still printing out stuff, then we got bigger problems than we than we thought we had, and it's the, the just the president's nuclear football is not off of um, you know it's not paper run. No, that's right. <laughs> that's absolutely right. And he still doesn't have it with him. I do find it really really interesting though that um, Merrick Garland came out and really didn't say much. I mean he he came out and gave what a three minute statement, uh, but he was correcting wrong reporting. I mean in the first seventy two to to 84 hours after something like this happens, you get a lot of inaccurate reporting, right? And the Newsweek report had said that he did not, Merrick Garland did not approve this. So I think that made him feel like even though people were calling for him to come out and say something, I think that particular piece of reporting made him feel like he had to come out and say something. Yeah, 100%. No, this is an incredibly... I mean, ironically, you could say like thermonuclear, um, you know, political development that we're that we're dealing with in the country. And this has obviously meant, led to, you know, threats against FBI officials, which is another thing that Garland talked about. It's led to, you know, you know, conspiracy theories about like, oh, well, what were they really after? And obviously, you know, folks on the left are, you know, coming up with the most maximalist conspiracy theory possible about what 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 did they find? Oh, God, like, you know, Trump was. Trump was, you know, selling selling the nuclear codes and all this stuff, and then you've got, you know, folks on the right obviously rallying around the former president. So this is a this is an incredibly fraught situation, um, both legally for the Department of Justice and politically just for the country. So it is it is it does underscore that, that this is a very serious situation that that Garland is is you know seems to be taking seriously, but has also had to actually come out and um, after you know 24 hours of just not saying anything after you raid a former president's house, that that obviously then causes a lot of energy and you know calls for investigations from you know Senate and House Republicans and you know the that all of that political pressure I definitely made it so that he it was inevitable that he was going to have to say something and it's surprising that he only said as little as he did given given how well high it the is, temperature it, is in the country it, look I'm not a lawyer but in my view this is such a dramatic act we've never done it before there were other ways it could have been handled. Um, I understand that he, Merrick Garland made the decision, but there's one of two choices for him. He's either got to have enough there to charge the president and then we'll know more about what it is, or he may have to resign over this. You know, this is a really, and I'm not calling for his resignation. I'm just saying this is a big thing. This is like like Watergate type level decisions. All right. I, I have been comparing where we are right now, Matt, to the 1970s, because in the 1970s, we had a president that left under controversial circumstances. Then we had a one-term president, which we don't know if this is going to be a one-term president or not, that was kind of weak and that oversaw inflation, problems with other countries, people leaving the cities, and lots of violence, which sounds similar to now. And then what happened next was this sort of leader came out. And in the case of the 1970s, it was Ronald Reagan. I don't know who it's going to be. But we did not get the level of leadership I think we deserved under President Trump and what we expected. And we're not getting the level of leadership from President Biden, in my view. And I think that Merrick Garland has really put himself in a position where he has a very interesting path ahead of him. He's either got to have enough to charge President Trump. He's got a lot of explaining to do if he doesn't. And then Finally, it could lead to him having to resign. 
that is, you know, definitely potential on the horizon. I'm, I'm very curious to see who the, the 21st century Ronald Reagan is going to be. And um, I do, yes, no, I do think that this is a, a politically explosive thing that even Nixon was not, you know, investigated by the Department of Justice and, and saw his home raided. So this is going to be a, a, a very politically delicate and in, in, in unavoidably explosive situation that's going to be felt not just by, um, you know, Trump and his allies, but by the entire um, American political system as, as we figure out, like, what does this mean? And is there any way out of this that, that doesn't lead to, you know, more political violence as we've, as we've seen um, over, the, over the past, you know, two years or so? Um, and, and there's more, you know, consternation and stress in the country. And is, do, can we figure out a way to go forward? That's the true question. Here. So what are you working on now? What, is, what are the next steps of what you're watching for? Like if you were sitting there with popcorn and you can't wait for the next thing to happen, what are you looking for? Well, as, as the national correspondent based here in Georgia, I'm most interested in the Fulton County investigation and where District Attorney Willis is going to be taking that. I'm, I'm very interested to see if what they hear from Giuliani and these other folks is actually going to be, you know, changing the, um, you know, their thought process and everything. I'm interested in, you know, figuring out, you know, from people who've spoken to the committee, what their line of questioning looks like. So if, if, it, if it is the case that they're, you know, trying to prosecute Trump under anti-racketeering charges, if they're trying to prosecute Trump to say that he, you know, delayed um, decertification or administration of Georgia's elections, which most of which are crimes here in Georgia. Those are the things that I'm going to be seeing to see what is the legal argument that she's putting together? What is the, what is the case that she's really trying to, to, to come up with here? And, and then more broadly, I'm interested in what the political implications of, of, of the Trump raid rallying, rallying the right, what questions around what are this going to be the top issues on voters' minds. Those are all going to be things that I'm now looking into into what is going to happen in these midterm elections, like here in Georgia and beyond. Like, are folks going to be galvanized around these things, and are they going to turn out? Or as you said earlier, is it really just going to come down to the economy and whether or not people can put food on the table and think that their kids are safe at school? Yeah, I think that when it comes down to it, your pocketbook issues are the most important. And I think there are a lot of people that are thinking about Republicans as being the better option. But the thing I've been warned about by the people around Republicans is that what people forget in all the noise of the 2020 election was that Republicans picked up 15 seats and almost took back the Mm -hmm. House in 2020. So it's not going to be as big of a wave as a lot of people are predicting. And maybe they're predicting that intentionally so that people are disappointed. But I do think that Republicans are are motive. We know from polling the Republicans are more motivated to get out to vote than Democrats are right now. And we're, I'm watching that really closely. What is going to change people's minds about whether they get out and vote or not? Because we saw in 2016, especially, there was all this noise around Donald Trump, but then ultimately Democratic voters didn't get out and vote for him and or vote for her, vote for Hillary Clinton. So it's one of those things that I think will be interesting to watch. Matt Brown, national correspondent for The Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Martha Zoller Show. Wonderful. Thanks for having me.